look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More Than Money with the Popowich Carmelli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy, on News Talk 770. Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. Welcome to another edition of More Than Money on 77CHQR. You're here with Dave and uh, my partner, Andrew Masson. Uh, Faisal, not with us today on holidays. I hope you're enjoying your holiday long weekend, my friend. Uh, we've got a pretty good show today. We, we want to talk a little bit about, um, about staying engaged uh, when you retire. And part of what this is being recognized uh, by more and more people. We know what we're retiring from often don't know what we're retiring to. I think most people that we talk to would generally agree that, listen, there's two key components. You've got to keep your mind engaged in retirement, but you've also got to keep physically active. Yep. Um, and you know what? This is not going unnoticed by the universities in Canada, including the University of Calgary. So there is an age-friendly university global network uh, of which the USC is part of. And we want to bring them on today and talk a little bit about that because there's some really interesting benefits for seniors that I, I certainly didn't know about that we can, um, you know, give some exposure to. Well, and, you know, if you think about it, Dave, there's been a lot of times where people not only talk to us about we're always talking about how do you fill a day when you leave off and leave retirement. Yep. But more importantly, what are you going to do next? Because there's always something exciting that you want to do. Maybe... You know, it was uh, becoming a chef, mm -hmm. or maybe it's uh, I want to further my education because I didn't have a chance to do it before, or whatever it, the reason is. It, it gives us an opportunity. I'm going to be an astrophysicist when I retire. Oh, outstanding. Clearly not smart enough to make a career out of it. I knew that much early early on, but it'll be fun to it'll be fun to study when I'm retired and I don't have the pressure. <laughs> we've also listen. We've had an election here. I got to tell you, we've had lots of conversations, calls. There's a lot of um, unsettled. Uh, Albertans, uh, you certainly throw um, you certainly throw people from Saskatchewan there as well. But let's take a look at how the next four years might really impact us. What it might really look like under this uh, this new administration. We're going to talk about that, and you want to stick around for that today. Um, but let's um, let's start the show and talking a little bit about the markets this week, as we often do. Um, you know, it's interesting. We just finished our quarterly conference call. Um, and as, as preparation for that, we go through an investment committee, uh, committee meeting and talk a little bit about what the economics look like and so on and so forth. And there's, you know, we're still talking about the same things we were talking about two and three years ago. Yep. Right? We're still talking about the trade relationship and how that's either moving forward or not, moving backwards. We're talking about Brexit issues. But there has been a lot of activity in those areas uh, over the last little while. Um, I have to say, generally speaking, markets were fairly tame, moving slightly mm -hmm. higher, equity markets I'm talking about, um, on anticipation that we might be coming to at least a partial resolution um, or a partial deal between China and the United States. Well, and that's been going on. That's been on the, on the burner for a long period of time. And now there's a point where, you know, the Trump the – Trump, uh, presidency is going to be questioned or could potentially questioned simply because they haven't dealt with this or it hasn't been finished yet. And of course, they're moving into an election year. So well, yeah. all these combined is definitely pushing that needle a little bit. Well, and, and it's interesting because the, again, the, 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 the data, the headlines uh, certainly drive individual trading activity. You know, late in the week, we were getting news that, hey, the administration's respective Chinese U.S. administrations had agreed to 
some temporary rollbacks or mm-hmm. what you know the uh, the tariff situation is going to look like on a on a go forward basis as they're working through this and then you know we have president trump come out later and say no i haven't agreed to anything yet and so we're still in that you know the market still being driven by that headline you don't know what to believe very difficult in that environment to on a day-to-day basis figure out what the uh, you know what the actual details are going to be. Uh, Brexit is no different, though. Right? No, but I think just to finish that off, I think there's a sense of optimism that the market is sort of taking with it, believing that it's going to move forward. It's just time. Yeah, well, I think that's been around for a little while, and the the, tr- the same would hold of of, of Brexit, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've gone through a, 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 another parliamentary election. You got a new prime minister. Uh, a new deal that's in place. Again, they can't get it through the finish line. Another vote coming. Uh, but I would say the same thing as you just said. I think there's a, sem- a sense of optimism building that both parties, the UK and the uh, EU, are just so exhausted over this process that they've been through for three years that they have to come to some resolution. Well, and I think the population is somewhat exhausted too, at sure. which point they're going to make a choice. Right, right. Um, because that's really what that election is coming to be. It's a choice about whether or not you want to do this or not. Right. So there's, there is a sense of optimism building on some of those big geopolitical things that we've been talking about for a long time, and that's being reflected in the trade. Uh, and then you look at, you know, earnings season. <clears throat> I haven't got the numbers in front of me, but um, this quarter on the S&P 500, we were expecting to see uh, a negative, uh, a negative year-over-year earnings impact. Now mm-hmm. we're coming off some base effects of big tax changes for U.S. corporations. Uh, so the next, call it one, two, maybe three quarters, um, there could be some pressure on uh, on corporate earnings. A little deceleration. Yeah, yeah. Um, so don't don't be surprised if you see that. But when we talk about these things, I guess what I want to uh, I want to say is there's a bunch of moving parts. Some of it is this emotional optimism that's building, right? Very very difficult to know the facts because a lot of it's happening, you know, behind the scenes. Um, but we need to be data dependent. And so what we talked about on the on the conference call with our client base is be data dependent. We've got an economic yes. dashboard. We look at the numbers. We look at, um, you know, are things improving or slowing? What's the manufacturing, global manufacturing doing? Are we in a global manufacturing recession or not? Is there an inverted yield curve? If not right now, what does it tell us? It, you know, all of these different elements and stay data dependent because it's very difficult in an environment where you've got these minute by minute headlines moving things around. Um, it, it's easy to fall into the emotional decision. And oh, the emotional totally. decisions it can be destructive, right? So stay data dependent, make sure your strategy meets, meets your objectives, and then follow what the data tells you, okay? But day-to-day price discovery, the trading activity that you see based on whatever hits the headline on a day-to-day basis, uh, very difficult to under you know to see anything. This, people get surprised where you get a thousand point drop, and then three days later you're up yep. a thousand points. You know that that day-to-day trading or what I call the price discovery that happens on a day can be highly inaccurate. Right. Well, there's longer a lot of periods of time. Take part of it. Yeah. So, yeah. Totally, uh, it can be highly inaccurate. Highly inaccurate you know, because a lot of people are moving in and out of the market because they're not data dependent. They're they're playing the news. They're playing the story. Right. Um, and they might be buying a passive index, which of course is driving prices. So all these little things combined can cause a lot of change in your portfolio that you may not have expected. Yeah. So my you know my comment here, I guess, is is if you believe as I do that you can get these wild swings. Um, and those wild swings on a day-to-day basis aren't necessarily accurate. We've had example after example after example of that, right? Yep. Um, that you need to you need to drill down into what the the key economic um, uh, data points is that you're looking at. This is how you provide some sanity and stability, in my opinion. Is you have to 
You have to get down to those key economic metrics that are relevant, that you think are relevant and important. And you keep your eye on the ball. And, and you're not going to find that, that uh, global manufacturing, as an example, in one day makes a huge move. Well, those right? metrics... It's a, it's those, a trend. Uh, that's right. But those metrics also drive two things, right? Like you have those metrics that we've put in place and we discussed those on our conference call. But more importantly, once you've determined what those metrics are and where they're going, then you can determine what your asset allocation is. And until you do that, there's no... There's no better way of handling it because if not, we're just picking socks willy-nilly. That doesn't make a lot of sense. Right. Yeah. So that that's right. So get. I'm just encouraging everybody here to to again think through, or if you're working with an advisor, understand the key elements, the key things that they're watching, and what the triggers are for when to make a move. Right. And and I hope I hope it's not that day-to-day whipsaw trading activity that we can see. We, we haven't seen any in, in the last little while, but I'm hard pressed to think that, you know, going forward, that we're not going to have days like that again. And it can be very unsettling, uh, unsettling for investors. So the key message that we gave to, uh, to our client base, again, data dependent. Here's the data. This is what we're watching. This is what it's telling us. And ultimately, listen, people have to also take some responsibility in this process, right? So if sure. I think if an advisory team is doing a good job on this, they're constantly remind you of what they're watching, what they're looking at, and what the key assumptions are. Here's the trick. If the key assumptions differ from what you're thinking about, then that is a really important conversation to have, right? Because portfolios can be designed to do anything. That's right. Right? In any economic environment, you can design a portfolio to uh, profit or protect. So you just have to make sure you have the same economic uh, assumptions underlying it and understand the good, the bad, and the ugly of what happens if those assumptions change. And if not, work with your advisor to figure out what that's going to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's good. Okay, um, uh, let's wrap it up there. We don't want to belabor that <laughs> point. But I do want to uh, I, I do want to talk about try to – this is not just about the math behind an investment portfolio. I am not suggesting for a second that that's not really important. That's but, totally important. But when we talk about goals and objectives, there are goals and objectives that go beyond just risk and return. They go to lifestyle. Right, so at our stage, the people that we deal with, what we're interested in is the journey. What what does that lifestyle look like for you going forward as you're moving into or living in retirement? That's right. right. And then building an entire wealth strategy that goes beyond just stocks and bonds and risk and return to ensure that all of those different family uh, goals and objectives are met. And that's what we're going to talk about our upcoming seminar. Uh, we are, and that uh, that seminar is going to cover cover exactly that lifestyle. How are we going to do it? How to profit and protect? And if you want to join us, please come t- uh, register at uh, 403-966-8400. It's going to be held at the uh, Sheraton Four Points uh, in Calgary West. That's across from COP. Um, give us a call uh, or uh, register online at morethanmoneyradio.com. And don't forget that date is Tuesday, November the 19th. It'll start 7 o'clock sharp, yeah. and we will have you out of there at 8 o'clock. But after that, Q&A, the interesting after 8 o'clock, full Q&A, anything's fair game. We look forward to seeing you there. We enjoy those presentations a lot. Okay, we have to take a quick break, but don't go away. Uh, we're going to talk about what uh, uh, if you're heading back to school, if you're thinking about keeping your brain engaged. There's a lot of interesting things that the UFC is doing, and we're going to fill you in on that. Stick around for that. At, uh, you're on More Than Money at 770 CHQR. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Andrew on More Than Money on 770 CHQR. And Andrew, we've um, you know we've had a tough go over the past um, oh, four, five, six years, I suppose, in Alberta, certainly in our city. Yep. Uh, I can't tell you how many phone calls we got in the early days of the downturn where you know people lost their jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in many cases, uh, either moved into retirement or 
you know, didn't want to retire, were looking for uh, positions, but maybe couldn't find the same position. There's a lot of transition or, that's taking place. Well, or even going into retirement, deciding they wanted to do something or learn something new. Do something new. That's right. Yeah. So the the fact is, in, in our city, we have seen uh, a lot of, I don't know what you call them, mature workers or, you know, mature people that are seasoned professionals, maybe moving outside of their um, chosen field, yep. right, or working in a different capacity. And often that indicates... Um, uh, a need for re-education, right? So yep. what do we do? So we're, we've got a terrific guest helping us out today, da- uh, Dr. David Hogan. He's a medical doctor, scientific director of the Brenda Stafford Center on Aging, also part of the Cummings School of Medicine's O'Brien Institute for Public Health at the U of C. Dr. Hogan, welcome to the show. Thank you. Okay, so let, let's just talk a little bit about what the Age-Friendly University Network is. Well, the Age-Friendly University Network is... Um a group of institutions around the world um, that have endorsed um, 10 principles and have committed themselves to becoming more age-friendly in their mm-hmm. programs and policies. So what does that mean, age-friendly? And what, what kind of changes um, you know, does an institution have to put in place if you're dealing with a mature you know, uh, uh, person versus maybe somebody who's 17, 18, just going to university for the first time? Uh, I mean, universities have been um, designed and really function uh, primarily for younger students. Mm-hmm. So older students, when they come back, you know, they might not be as familiar with um, information technology. They they have, you know, different issues. Um, when you're older, there also might be questions of accessibility uh, to, right. you know, to university buildings. Um, it's it's a kind of a very different um, list of requirements for you um, as a student. Um, also, older individuals could benefit a lot from accessing um, the facilities available on university campuses, and we'd like to make that more possible and happen more often in our city. So, okay, let's 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 talk about why then the U of C decided uh, to become part of uh, of the network. Did it have was it in any way, shape, or form a response to you know what we've seen happen in our community over the last little while, or was this a, a longer term project that was uh, in motion already? It, it was a longer-term project, but it, it becomes more pertinent, you know, because of the, the changes we're all facing. Um, I think the university does want to become um, more responsive to the range of educational needs of older individuals. You know, that includes people who might have left school early right. to those who want to pursue a, a graduate degree. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, okay, so let's talk about being part of this network. What does it mean to our community? But I'm particularly interested in, in talking about maybe the kinds of support that are available for mature students. So if somebody's listening to this and they're thinking, oh, okay, maybe it is time that I go back or I'm interested in pursuing something else. Talk us through a little bit of the process and what they can expect. Well, uh, the we're still very early, and, and okay. we are definitely are, are trying to develop uh, um, programs and processes and services that will make the university more accessible and, and more age-friendly mm-hmm. uh, to um, older people in our city. I mean, one thing the university does offer, and you probably aren't aware of it, is that for undergraduate courses, the university waives tuition for seniors. Hmm. So if you're 65 and over, you don't have to pay tuition for an undergraduate course. That's not the case for graduate courses, but for undergraduate courses, if uh, if you're a senior and you wanted to uh, take a course, uh, tuition would be waived, um, and you could get more details of that policy, you know, from the university directly. Um, 
they there are more mature students than would have been the case previously. Right. Um, and, but we're just early in the game in trying to devise how to make the university more accommodating to their particular issues and needs. We're working with um, um, a student right now to kind of look at intergenerational programming and also how to meet the needs of uh, older students when they come back to the university. But hopefully this will come to fruition in the next year or so. Is there, are there any uh, financial support programs for those that are under 65? So we've got somebody, say, uh, f- a 50-year-old who's lost their job, and perhaps that job doesn't exist anymore in Calgary. They don't want to me- uh, move and change the family. Can, is there a support program specific to the mature needs, um, you know, whether it's undergraduate or you know, beyond that? Not that I'm aware of. I mean, obviously, mature students would be eligible for all the scholarships that are yeah available to a university, but, you know, targeting specifically mature students, I don't believe so. Okay. What's the long-term vision, um, David, of, of what the university, not just the U of C, but the university network in general, um, by pushing down this idea of, of age-friendly, where, what's, what's the genesis of this idea across the country, and, and what's the uptake? Like, what are we trying to accomplish here with the, uh, with the mature student? Well, I think what we're trying to accomplish at the university overall is change the university mindset from training younger people to service maybe an older clientele, but to bring older individuals into the university itself. So they become, you know, core to all activities of the university, whether education or research programs, and also um, are more comfortable coming to the campus and, uh, you know, utilizing all the um, resources and mm-hmm. services available on the university. Um, I, there, there are a lot of things going on in the university I think would be of interest to, you know, older Calgarians, but I i don't think we have done a great job in reaching out to them, and, and also older Calgarians should be feeling more comfortable in coming to campus. We do have to deal with issues of, like, physical access to buildings and, and uh, mm-hmm. places where these things are, are shown or, or held, but also, I think there are psychological barriers that we have to break through as well. Well, I have to tell you, Andrew, I've got super fond memories of my days at university. Yep. And, uh, you know, I've often thought myself after retirement, um, it would be fun to go back. I've always had an interest in, say, physics or astronomy. I could never, mm-hmm. I was never bright enough to go into those, <laughs> uh, <laughs> expecting that I would be able to have a career, but I find them really interesting, right? So yeah. I think as part of, we, we talk to a lot of people about transition and what yeah. are you going to do in retirement, right? And part of it is an engagement process and part of it is keeping your brain active, right? Oh, and I think there's a huge opportunity that, that universities can play in that, you know, that aspect of, of w- whether it's just a retirement program or it's I'm retraining well I think right? it's I think it's a combination of both a retirement program is one thing but it's a retraining because we're always retraining our brains to think differently our kids move differently our kids do things differently than we do whether it be technological or, or yep. others yeah they think differently and this gives us an opportunity in which we can go and do something like that David is there any uh, early evidence uh, or evidence I don't know how early it would be but evidence to support who is coming back and taking advantage of it? is it that person who's retired and just really interested in staying engaged mentally or or is it a retreat training, probably a combination of both, but just curious to see what, yeah, what you're it, seeing. It's definitely a mix. I mean, some people are 
coming back um, later because they had to make choices early in life where, for example, they didn't pursue um, a degree that they had an interest in. And some are, are doing it more for their personal growth, you know, and, and an interest they might have. I, I think this is really important if, as a society, we're going to benefit from a longevity dividend as compared to a longevity burden. Um, you know, we have to keep um, older Calgarians, Albertans, and Canadians, you know, engaged and enthusiastic about uh, society and, and contribute to society, you know, not really just um, sitting placidly uh, collecting, yeah. you know, retirement benefits. That's not really what we want to do. Yeah, well, I think we see uh, plenty of evidence in, in, you know, the engagements that we have with clients that that it speaks to that, right? I think people need to keep engaged both physically and mentally, but we have to work at it. It's not something, you know, the environment just doesn't pop up. Like you have to take active steps to do this. And I think that this, this whole notion of a, of an age friendly, um, you know, university network in Canada and perhaps beyond Canada, I'm not sure, but that, that to me makes a, makes a lot of sense. Well, and it fits into what we talk about with our clientele regularly, which is, you know, what are you going to do? How are you going to fill that eight, 10 or 12 hours a day that you haven't done before? Is it going to be productive or are you going to sit down and watch TV? Yeah, David, just very quickly before yep. we have to let you go, um, if somebody's interested in, in this and getting involved, how do they reach out to the university and get engaged in this? You know, um, if they contact me, I'd be happy to, you know, try to address any questions they might have. That would probably okay. be the simplest way right now. Okay, that's great. And if they're interested, is there a website they go to or is it a phone yeah, number I, they need to contact you at? If you went to the University of Calgary uh, website and look for uh, the Brenda Stratford Center on Aging and click through there, you can contact us and also get a better idea of the things we're doing. That's wonderful. David, I want to thank you for taking some time uh, with us today. If anybody uh, couldn't write that down, they're driving, you want to get in touch with us, we can, uh, we can forward that link uh, so that you can get in touch with David, uh, David and his team. Thanks very much for your time today, David. Thank you. Bye-bye. Been joined by Dr. David Hogan, MD, Scientific uh, Director of the Brenda Stafford Center. So Google Brenda Stafford Center if you're interested in this, uh, on aging. And that's part of the Cummings School of Medicine's O'Brien Institute for the Public Health, uh, excuse me, of Public Health at the UFC. Okay, my friend, uh, this whole transition, education, staying engaged, all of that's uh, a part of the framework that we're discussing at our upcoming seminar. A uh, uh, seminar coming up uh, on... Tuesday, November 19th, 7 p.m. at the Sheraton Four Points. That's across from COP. Um, if you want to give us a call to register, you get it at 403-966-8400 or go online at morethemoneyradio.com. Stick around after the break if you want to hear about how the last federal election results could really impact Albertans. You're on 770 CHQR and more than money. Welcome back. You're, uh, you're here with Dave and Andrew. You're on 770 CHQR and uh, more than money. And Andrew, listen, we have uh, we've gone through an election recently, a federal election, and you know, with the conversations that we've had and calls we've taken from clients and friends and so on and so forth, there's a lot of concern amongst Albertans with the outcome of this election and whether or not we're being heard and what what policies we might expect to see and the impact it's going to have. Well, I think concern and fear come come into grip because people just don't know and they're they're concerned about what's going to happen to them. You know, how is this going to continue here in Calgary right. or the rest of Alberta, for that matter? Uh, what's going to happen to oil and gas? You know, lots of things on people's minds right now. Right, and those are all our politically sensitive words. They right? are politically <laughs> sensitive. <laughs> okay, we've got uh, Moshe Lander, who is a professor of economics 
uh, works at Concordia University, but he's also teaching at um, at Dalhousie. He teaches uh, at the uh, at the U of C. So I think he's going to have an interesting perspective on this. But uh, Moshe, we caught him just as he was getting off an airplane. He was good enough to give us some time. So uh, that's terrific. If you hear some, if you hear some airport music in the background, that's just because we're he's there. there. So <laughs> hey, listen, Moshe, I want to thank you very much for taking some time with us when you're on the run. No worries, my pleasure. All right, uh, let's get right to it because um, are we going to see? Let's just go. Are we going to see any major policy changes under the, the the Liberal government this time with that NDP kicker on it? And if so, what do you think they're going to look like? Well, I guess the the starting point is when you're saying changes, that implies that they had policies to begin with, right? <laughs> so um, I, I'm not exactly sure uh, what their major policies were in their first term. Of, of course, they they passed basic types of legislation and things like that, but. You know, now that they have the NDP riding coattail and they're going to be the ones that prop them up, we're going to see policies that are clearly more of a left-wing tinge than something more in the center, certainly not something that's going to be uh, center-right. So uh, I think a little more on the environment and a little bit more on uh, kind of the anti-energy policies that uh, scared a lot of Albertans in the, in the last uh, government is probably what we're going to see coming up this time around. Well, that is just going to enrage everybody in Alberta and Saskatchewan. Uh, and, of course, you're, you're, you are seeing some of that um, uh, clearly with, um, you know, the different movements that are, that are creeping up. So let's talk a little bit about then specifically the impacts. Um, so given this, this left-wing tinge to it, um, and certainly liberals are going to have to work with the NDP if they want to pass legislation, and we all know what that could potentially mean for the energy sector. Walk us through some of the things that, that we could expect to see uh, and then, you know, if you've got any input for, for Albertans on perhaps uh, <laughs> how we can voice our opinion to influence that, we'd, be, we'd love to hear it. Sure. So, I mean, let, let's deal with the one that really matters to Albertans, right? And it's TMX. Right yeah. now, that is owned by the government. And the government needs to figure out a way to get that project running. And they also need to figure out a way to get it off their hands. Yeah. They spent over $5 billion on that. And the reality is that they're probably not going to get that money back, which means the taxpayer will end up footing the bill for whatever ends up going through. I, I think what the Liberals are probably going to be dragged into doing is to try and uh, ensure uh, Indigenous group support for the pipeline. They're going to try and make sure that that pipeline is as environmentally friendly as a pipeline can be. And so I think that's going to slow down the process, and that's also going to uh, reduce some of their leverage in being able to get the best asking price when they try and sell it off to, to a, an actual corporation that's going to run the pipeline. So that's probably the, the biggest one that should keep Albertans awake at night is, are, are they going to be able to do that? And with the Conservatives smelling blood here, how much are they going to themselves become an impediment to the sale of the pipeline? Because they're going to keep insisting on uh, moving it towards a more pro-business stance than a pro-environmental stance. Okay, so let's uh, let me put you on the spot. You think it's uh, it's ultimately going to go through? Pipelines are going through or not? You know what? It depends on how long this government lasts. Uh, this is not going to be their first policy. It's not going to be their first priority. So if they can last the full five years uh, under a minority government, there is a chance that this thing will finally be off the books and, and back where it belongs in private hands. Uh, if this government doesn't last six months, it's not getting done. Uh, so it really is just a matter of how stable is the NDP support and how much do the NDP want to try and leverage uh, that they're the kingmakers in this government uh, to extract stuff out of the Liberals. Uh, you're a professor of economics. What, what, what is, 
you know, I think Albertans would generally understand there is a national economic uh, issue at stake here. It's not just provincial, although we're feeling it. But talk to us about what, um, what, what the rest of Canada needs to understand about the economics of having pipelines and getting this, this, this uh, natural resource that we have uh, out of the ground into international markets. It's really simple. It's, it's, you know, you can be as pro-environment as you want, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And you can be kept awake at night worrying about uh, climate change, and there's nothing wrong with that. But the facts on the ground is that Alberta and part of Saskatchewan and part of BC are extremely reliant on energy. And Canada has been blessed or cursed with a tremendous amount of it in the ground. And leaving it in the ground provides no economic value. So you, you absolutely need to get that out of the ground and into the consumers that value it the most. And that can only be done with pipelines. Uh, it, it's not uh, of any use just being left in Alberta. So you know, the moment a pipeline crosses uh, a provincial boundary, that becomes federal jurisdiction. And the federal government needs to ensure that whatever pipelines are necessary are built to get that to the end consumer, whether that's out to the West Coast so that it can be shipped to Asia, or whether that's to Eastern Canada where it can be shipped elsewhere, or even consumed here in Canada or in the U.S. It has to be done. Uh, what you can do is you can start preparing for a post-energy life, but that's not now. Right. So to try and make that the case now is just not facing the reality that uh, until the Alberta uh, economy can diversify away from oil, uh, it, it's not good economics. Yeah, and there is a national impact, a GDP impact. Like you said, this is a national resource, happens to be located in you know certain provinces, but it's a national resource, um, and we have got to we have got to utilize that um, nationally and provincially. What else can we expect from the Liberal? What, what's the quick wins that the Liberals are going to the Liberals and NDP are going after, and the impact on Alberta? Well, you know what the the issue, of course, is uh, the budget, and that was one of the things that they promised in their first election run, which was that they were going to balance the budget in the first parliament, and they didn't. Right. There is no compelling reason why they have to balance the budget within a certain time frame, but they need to focus a little bit more on kind of the the tax base and where that money's coming from. And Alberta, of course, is getting very upset that. Uh, the system in place of the way that the tax dollars are distributed among the provinces doesn't seem to be very equitable. And so uh, I, I think that there's a chance here for the Liberals to try and win a, a little bit of favour in Western Canada by reviewing the system of equalization payments and the insurance schemes that are involved that try and help distribute those tax dollars uh, across the provinces in an equitable way. If they want to get some uh, cheap points there, uh, say, let's look into that and see if there's a way that we can modernize it and make it uh, a little more reflective of, of the current state of economics in this country rather than uh, an old formula from a decade ago. Well, you know, the most recent stats I read is Quebec has received something in the order of $46 billion over the past five years in Ontario, maybe just a shy, of, a tad shy of $5 billion. And if, uh, you know, as an Albertan, I'm thinking over the last five years, it hasn't been particularly good here. Uh, I think you're right. I think that uh, there, I mean, everybody in Alberta would agree with with that particular uh, position, but let's hope that um, that you know there is a review of that done because that's one of the areas, Andrew. That is just, I mean, we hear just absolute yeah. rage, right, with what's going on in this province and transfer payments still moving up. Well, that's that's a big factor, but uh, you know, while I've got you, Moshe, um, uh, can you just give me an idea? Like, what do you think the NDP is going to do if they're going to be the kingmaker in this thing? Uh, what kind of policies or, or or pushes might they? they get the Liberals to do in order to keep them in power? Well, you know, we saw during the election that some of the policies they were proposing were extremely scary. Not mm -hmm. scary in the sense that left-wing, right-wing, scary in just terms of 
budget-breaking uh, promises of huge spending increases on a, on a variety of issues that they, they didn't have a policy for how they were going to fund those things. So the issue is, do they want to try and kind of peel off that you know, big party liberalism, which goes all the way from the left to the center. And do they want to try and pick off those left wingers in the Liberal Party and say, hey, if you want us around, then we need big spending plans uh, that they were offering in terms of health care spending, in terms of education spending, in terms of uh, kind of the, the, the big social programs and, and, you know, all valuable, but probably not the right time for it either. So, uh, again, if Alberta is being a net contributor into the, into the, the budget there, um, hey, that's Alberta tax dollars that are being used for those sorts of things. And when Alberta right now is suffering uh, under a government that wants to desperately balance the books at the expense of cutting funding out of Calgary and out of Edmonton, uh, is, is that going to just even further enrage uh, at least the big city residents of Alberta? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, Moshi. Thank you. We can't uh, we can't do justice in the time we have, but we have um, we have come up to our limit. So I want to thank you very much for taking time with us, particularly since you're on the run. No worries, my pleasure. Thank you very much. We've been joined by uh, Moshe Lander. He's a professor of economics at Concordia University. We've got to pr- uh, we've got to make sense of all of this, and we've got to get people through retirement and enjoy yep. their lives, right? That's Despite right. Despite whatever political regime is in place, let's talk about that at our upcoming seminar. Yeah, we want to help people profit and protect, and you know, worry about these uh, these markets as they've gotten a little choppy as of recently. So please join us for our seminar Tuesday, November nineteenth, seven p.m. at the Sheraton Four Points, um, Calgary West. That's across from COP. Um, give us a call to register at nine six six eighty four hundred or uh, go online at morethanmoneyradio.com. You're interested about what kind of, of planning you should be doing from an income perspective and a tax perspective at the end of the year? Stick around after the break. We're going to talk about that. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back. You're here with David Andrew on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Um, listen, you're doing a lot of financial planning work right now with clients around uh, income. How much income yep. should they be taking and where should they be taking it from? Uh, and this is a big point of confusion all the time for people, right? So why don't we have a little conversation? We've got about seven minutes or so to finish up the show. Why don't we just talk uh, and give give some process stuff, some some ideas for people that are thinking about how best to um, tax plan, right, for the income that they need in, in, in a given year and what they should be doing at the end of the year. Well, you know, I, I don't think it's so necessarily tax plan, David. So the first thing you got to figure out is what, what income do you need? Yeah, what for- reason do you have uh, – you've determined your lifestyle income being because that could be 30,000, 50,000, 100,000 or or more. It's really an irrelevant number. Um, and tax planning becomes well. It's, re- it's relevant. It's, it's relevant, relevant to your lifestyle yeah, yeah. in that year, but it's but beyond that, it's 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 nothing else. And then tax planning would come on on top of that because obviously you're going to have some different elements of that tax plan. So yeah. if you wanted to reverse engineer it, first we start off by figuring out what kind of income or what the lifestyle income you need and then from there we'll take that lifestyle income and say all right what areas that i have that i've got guaranteed income sources Mm -hmm. from so what guaranteed income sources can you think of um well first and foremost do i have a pension plan if i have a public pension plan how much is providing me a month multiply that by 12 now you've got an annual amount to reduce against that expense the second thing do I, am I receiving Canada Pension Plan? How much Canada Pension Plan am I seeing, or how much do I expect to receive? And you can do that by contacting uh, Service Canada. Um, they can send you a statement um, showing uh, how much CPP you would get at ages 60, 65, or 70. And so depending on age, we can determine that. Or if you're already retired, you know what you're getting from Canada Pension Plan every month. 
Following that, then you have to go back and you have to go another layer and look at old age security or OAS. How much am I getting from OAS and what's that look like? And so old age security, if you're Canadian, have lived in Canada your entire life, chances are you probably get 100% old age security, which is roughly right now $602. But if you spend some time abroad, if um, you're uh, an expat from another country, mm-hmm. those dollars are lower. So we have to take that into consideration as well. How much am I going to get? Um, so that's another conversation with Service Canada. But, um, you know, and then, of course, with those two, you can also determine whether you want to take them later. And then finally, now we've got an income gap. We've got a gap saying, these are my guaranteed sources of income. There could be other sources, but that's to the individual. What's left? Mm-hmm. So whether it's 30000 50000 whatever, okay, now how am I going to fund that? Right. Then we consider... Is it going to come out of RSP or RIF? Is it going to come out of LIFTS? Is it going to come out of non-registered assets? Is it going to come out of TFSAs? Then we make those decisions. And then finally, at the end, we put it all together and say, all right, how is this best tax efficient? So we have to look at all these different components within that one income bucket, as we like to call it, and determine what those things are. And then finally, at the end, look at what the tax strategy and how to pull those things out effectively. Right. And there's some variables at the end of the year that make this challenging, right? So what you've talked about is some guaranteed sort. These are stable sources of income. But there's other things, depending on the composition of assets, that should be reviewed at the end of the year to really figure out where you are from a from a from a tax planning perspective. Well, right? and exactly, because tax planning is a little bit different, but what we're focused on there is if you're tax planning, a lot of people want to try and get as much as they can out without paying um, the CRA or Canada Revenue Agency um, in any one given year. So what they try to do is they try to bring their income up to the, the closest tax bracket they have available to them. To the top end of it. That's right, the top end of it, because the marginal tax rate doesn't change. Right. It goes to the top end before it before it gets pulled out. So by doing that, what are you doing? You're looking for ways to try and draw a little bit more dollars out that you're maybe going to add to your non-registered plan or even your bank account. But it's there, it's liquid, and it's available to you, and you're not going to pay additional tax. Because at the end of the day, um, when second person dies or whoever passes away within that portfolio, um, that's a, uh, if there's a lot of registered assets left over, there's a lot of cash. Yeah, so, so what you're saying is if, is if I'm in, a, say, a 30.5% tax bracket with yep. my guaranteed sources of income, then there's no disadvantage to, to me to be at the top end of that bracket versus the low end of that bracket because the marginal rate is still the same. That's right. Um, I'm saying that, but you have to take it into consideration because, you know, if you're in the 25% tax bracket and you just creep over in the 30.5, you don't want to go much more. Yeah, it's, yeah. it'll it's affect no your average so tax rate, right? You want, to, you want to try and play that average tax rate. But if you're already in the mid or high part of that 30.5% tax bracket, yeah. as an example you've just provided, um, then, yeah, why don't we take it up a little bit more? Because it's really not going to affect your, your overall average tax rate. Right. Now, what if uh, people have non-registered money and they've got, they've got interest and dividends and capital gains throughout the year? How do they have to – well, what should they be doing at the end of the year? And so they ha- should be really sitting down and looking at those things. If they want to do a tax strategy where they're pulling dollars out, they really have to add all these things up. Dividends. Um, if they're Canadian dividends, they're part of the dividend tax credit, so there's a gross up. Mm-hmm. Um, Interest is uh, 100% taxable, so interest income is, has to be looked at. If you have international dividends, really, in essence, they, they're treated like income. Yeah, yeah it's so, like interest, yeah. So, and then finally, what are their capital gains? And add those things up because all of these things are going to determine how much tax you're going to pay. So when you're building up that a whole idea of am I going to push up to the next level or tax bracket, 
Well, work you with your accountant and your advisory team to get Absolutely. that information about this time. That's right? right. You're running out of time in respect if you know if you want to draw from an RSP, if you want to draw from a RIF, or you want to draw from something else, right. or even if it makes sense to to take more capital gains this year to try and um, reduce your tax burden. Right. Those For those options. of you that have corporations, right? Mm -hmm. Fiscal year end may not be the same as calendar year end, but within the fiscal corporate fiscal year, there's also things that you should be doing from a tax planning perspective if you're drawing out of that. That's right. right. Because one of the things that corporate owners, you've got a hold co now, it's not an operating company and they've got money in there and investments in there. Well, the the capital dividend account, right? And that that election can be an important part of the tax planning to get money out of the corporation. Oh, absolutely. So and triggering capital gains often uh, in, in a corporation to create a positive balance so that you can strip some money out of that corporation can be an, an, an alternative way to get money you know, into your hands personally on a, on a, on tax, a tax efficient basis so you correct. can spend and support your life. So the point is there's lots of different moving pieces here. Uh, Andrew, you spent a lot of time working with our clients on, on that on an individual basis. But I just uh, I, I, I challenge everybody to, if you've got a lot of complexity in your situation with different kinds of different pools of assets uh, from a tax planning and income excuse me, income planning perspective, it can be important to be reviewing at this time. Absolutely. We've got to wrap this one up pretty quick here. Why don't we remind everybody about our upcoming seminar? Yeah, or, uh, please join us at uh, Tuesday, November 17th, 7 p.m. at the Sheraton Four Points, Calgary West. That's across from COP. Um, call to register at 966-8400 or at morethemoneyradio.com. All right, we've got to wrap up another show, Andrew. I want to thank you for joining me. You do a lot of financial planning work with our, our clientele, and it's, it's insightful and important, I think, for people to hear the kinds of things that they can be doing. Thanks, Dave. Okay, we hope to see you at the uh, upcoming seminar. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of More Than Money on 770 CHQR. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.